Welcome to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. Welcome to installment number seven in this series, The Resurrection of Your Church. And I hope you're having as much fun as I am. I'm Ken Hunter, the founder of Church Doctor Ministries, a church consultant, and the author of Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival. And I love talking about the church, and I love talking with you about this resurrection of your church. I know many people, and probably you too, have really prayed that God's kingdom would come in all of its fullness and that churches could thrive and reach out and make an impact on our culture and our nation and make life better for everybody. We gotta just we just gotta quit shooting one another. We gotta quit dealing with drugs so much. We gotta quit having government gridlock. We need some spiritual thinking at every level. That's my bias. <laughs> and so uh, in our last time together, in our last installment, we talked about how Jesus started this movement with 12 guys, and we looked at how he worked organically and brought into their world kingdom culture, how he worked with invitation and challenge. And we ended by talking about the issue of hope, which is where we're going to begin today. We've already learned in previous installments that timing in history is real good for us right now. It's more likely than not that there'll be a major move of God because it's happened every 500 years and we're 500 years since the Reformation. And I don't know whether that was started 50 years ago or whether it'll start 50 years from now, but we're in that window, no question. And so that ought to be good news and encouragement for renewal of your church, the resurrection of your church, your desire to make that happen, to be used by God, to let that happen. That should be part of a uh, enthusiastic commitment to do whatever it takes And now I'm going to share with you another element that is even more valuable than what we dealt with back when we talked about the receptivity of people to spiritual things. Remember I talked about offering to pray for people like waiters and waitresses? You remember that teaching. You'll remember that we actually have done this thousands of times, and we have taught thousands of people in churches to do the same, and 97% of the people are very open, even though they don't have a clue about who God is or anything about Jesus, except that it's something to do with those churches that sit on the corner. So we talked about how receptive people are that way. Now I want to talk to you about another receptivity factor that might be the most important, the most valuable, and that is the issue of hope. I've talked to you a little bit about the three-year movement we do in churches called Healthy Churches Thrive and how that starts with people that have holy discontent, and then it grows from that, kind of like leaven and bread, slow but sure, changes everything. And so as we've looked at this, we want to now turn our attention to another factor, and that is hope and hopelessness. One of the things we uh, encourage people to do in Healthy Churches Thrive, once they feel a little confidence to do something like this, we ask them to speak to those in their social network, in other words, people they know, and people they know who are functionally unchurched. Now, we're not asking people to make a judgment about the faith that is or is not in a person's heart. Actually, Jesus said, we're not supposed to judge. So, instead of that, 
by observation, we don't talk about whether someone is a Christian or not. We talk about whether someone attends church. That's a pretty visible sign, and it's not 100%, and we recognize that. There can be people that worship God alone in the privacy of their home. I haven't met many, but there can be, and that can be okay. But just focus on the people that are functionally unchurched. Segment them out. So then we ask them, when you see them, ask them a question. Now, you have to sort of guess their age when you ask this question. But if they're young enough to have young grandchildren, elementary school age or younger, you ask them, what do you think it's going to be like for your grandchildren? Now, if they're older people and their grandchildren are in an age where they're going to start to have children, then you just change it to, what do you think it's going to be like for your great-grandchildren? All we're trying to do is project out into the future, and it's a simple question. Anybody can ask this question. What do you think it's going to be like for your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren? And then just be quiet. Now, you're asking people that you know are functionally unchurched. So there's a chance their hope is not from a Christian perspective. So here's what you'll hear. We know because it's pretty much the same speech every time. We ask people that question. Others ask people that question. And about the first thing they say is something like, it isn't going to be very good for my grandchildren or great-grandchildren. And then you don't have to say anything. Just be quiet. And most people will move right on and start saying things like this. Our nation, our national debt, we're going to be broke. Inflation's going to run wild. We can't live within our means. Our government is gridlocked. People can't decide anything. We can't get anything done. Our nation is so polarized. The media is so hard on people and so secular. Some of the stuff they put on television, most people should never see. People shoot each other. Every time I turn on the television, I hear someone else walking into a store or into a mall and just firing on people. I'm worried about ISIS. I don't think we'll ever get them. I don't think it'll ever stop. Big business, Wall Street has really disappointed us. And I don't know if you can trust anybody. I think somewhere in every big corporation there are crooks. I just don't know about the future. And there may be some other creative things that I haven't thought of that people will say, but I'll tell you in one word what describes their future outlook on life as being people who are not functional Christians. They are hopeless. Now, this is important because if you're going to have renewal and revival, you've got to understand the power of story on the one hand, we've talked about that before, and the power of hope on the other. So guess what stories of hope are like? Powerful mechanisms to open people up to receptivity, to faith in Jesus Christ, one little step at a time. I want you to think about when Jesus showed up in the world. God being God, he could have sent Jesus anytime he wanted. Now, he pretty much promised that Jesus had to show up in Israel. So the place was sort of predetermined by the Old Testament. But the timing at first you really have to question God's timing. Not to question God, but it does have to raise a question mark because Israel was preoccupied 
by the hated, awful Romans who taxed the people and took their money and sent it to Rome so these ungodly weirdos could live the life of luxury and build stuff to monuments to their glory on your hard-earned money. No wonder people hated tax collectors. Why would God send Jesus at that time? Think about it a little bit further. Even today, any Jew you meet, whether they're practicing Jew or not, they will talk about the land that God has given to the people of Israel. That's part of the whole challenge and unsolvable issue of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Because these people have Old Testament proof, and it's all they've ever heard since childhood, for generation upon generation, is this land is a land that God gave to his people, the people of Israel, the Jews. So at the time of Roman occupation, the time when Jesus appeared, people were hopeless. Today, people are greatly hopeless. No wonder the Bible says Jesus is the hope of the world. No wonder one of the New Testament epistles said to Christians, be ready at all times to share the hope that is within you. Because as a Christian, with Christ as my Savior, bring it on. Tornado takes out my house. My wife dies, my parents die, my kids get in trouble. Whatever challenge comes in life, our government goes crazy, our land becomes occupied. My hope is not in those things. I care a lot about those things, but my hope is not in those things. My hope is in Jesus, and no one can take that away. You can feed me to lions, you can imprison me, do whatever you want, but whatever comes along in life, my hope is in Christ, as is the hope of every Christian. So people need hope in spades today. They need Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. So that is an entry point on our subject for today and this last installment, Elements of Renewal Movements. I want to share a few things. Having studied the history of Christianity all the way through and looked at the elements that are common to all these movements. Consider your own life and approach. Consider your church. Perhaps God will use you to develop a vision for a mission movement. Number one, listen to God through the scriptures and through prayer. Pray and listen. Listen and pray. Read the scripture. Think. What does this mean? For who we are, where we are, where the world is, what we hope for our churches. If you have limited your input about Scripture to a 20-minute sermon once every seven days, you are making a tragic error to how God can use you and help you. Sermons are great. I love them. Not enough. Get into a small group Bible study or a Bible class once a week, an hour minimum. Read Scripture every day, half hour minimum. Read it in a translation that you clearly understand and that really touches your heart language. Number two, be willing to obey God no matter how strange your ideas appear to your contemporaries. I learned a long time ago with my very first book, you write a book, it's like putting a lightning rod above your head. People are going to criticize you no matter how committed and faithful you are. Somebody isn't going to like something you said. Get over it. You have to be willing to submit to God and commit to his will no matter what. No matter what you're asked to pray about doing, changing your lifestyle, whatever you may consider in changing your church. If it's in tune with the Bible, 
but out of tune with contemporary society, then it's a roadblock. You need to be willing to obey God no matter what. Number three, look at your world and see the needs and possibilities, two sides of the same coin, never just one. Look at what most people miss completely of the needs and the possibilities in our world. Some people are indifferent. Other people are just blind to these needs and opportunities. You know, like receptivity, like hopelessness, like many other things. Be a person who sees the possibilities that other people just don't see. Ask God for special wisdom, special vision, special perception. Number four, if something God or another Christian is asking you to do and it seems impossible, it is likely from God. If it's about what anybody could think of, about what everybody else does, don't count on it. But if it seems impossible, pay particular attention to that because that's probably God speaking to you. Number five, go back in history and learn from people that have been mission or movement pioneers. There's lots of them. And look at them close. Notice that a lot of their contemporaries literally dismissed them as dreamers. Some called them hopeless fanatics. They took all kinds of garbage from all kinds of people. You need to look at these people closely. Look at what they did. Learn from what they learned from God, from Scripture, how they approached the challenges of their day and age. What parallels are there? Become a student of renewal movements and revivals. Figure that out. For right now, at this time in history, for where we are, it doesn't matter who you are in the church. You need to become an expert in this area. Number six, back to the Bible. When you read your Bible, read that Bible every day from a personal perspective. Beyond just Bible study, you know, intellectual, oh, that's cool, that's interesting. Beyond that, not just that, but personal, spiritual formation and personal mission, movement, direction. If you can't only get through two or three verses, but you go through this system where you personally apply it and you ask and ask and ask, what does this say for me personally? How does this mean I need to change? I need to grow. It doesn't matter to me if you do two, two verses a day or one. Hey, it really doesn't matter. That's more important than saying, yeah, I read three chapters today. Well, that's great, but not so great. You need to go beyond that. Number eight, discover and develop and use your spiritual gifts. In Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, and a couple of spots here and there in the New Testament, it talks about gifts of the Holy Spirit. These aren't talents. They're different than your talents. You can actually have the talent to teach, but not have the gift of teaching. But if you have the gift of teaching, somewhere in your Christian sphere, you should be teaching. It is almost unbelievable how many people in churches today do not know their spiritual gifts. If you don't know your spiritual gifts, then you don't know your spiritual job description. Therefore, you can't really know entirely what God's will is for your life. You just can't. There are all kinds of surveys. Every ministry, our ministry, every ministry has some spiritual gift survey that you can use. There are follow-up books that do a Bible study on each gift so you can go deeper and find out more about your gifts. 
It's really important. I don't know where the devil got a hold of the church, but somehow convinced everybody that spiritual gifts are, I don't know, not important. I don't know why they're in the Bible. It's crazy. They are really important. Number nine, identify your primary purpose. What's your primary purpose in life? Raise your kids? No, not really. That is a big one. Make money so you can live? Yeah, that's, that's good. That's a good thing. Not your primary purpose. If you're a Christian, if you've been baptized, if you believe in Jesus, your primary purpose is different. You are sent on a mission to exercise passion and share good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, and to make disciples. Now, if you don't know that, learn that. If you don't know how to do that, learn that. Don't waste much time. The clock's ticking. No matter how old you are, get on that right away. Right after you figure out your gifts, that's the next thing. Focus on your primary purpose. You are sent on a mission. And that is paralleled with the priesthood of all believers. Somehow, churches have got the idea that the way the church grows is we get a pastor, and that pastor preaches, and if we get enough people, we get a second pastor. And if the church continues to grow, we get a staff, and we get all these different people, and we pay them. They do the work of ministry, and our job is to come and listen to a sermon, maybe 20 minutes, sing a few songs, and put money in the offering to pay that staff to do the work of ministry. You need to look at Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to quote it. It says, God has raised up special gifted people in the church. Some are apostles. Others are prophets. Some are evangelists. Some are teachers. Some are pastors or pastors and teachers. And then the next verse, you should burn into your brain. He has given these gifts to these special gifted people. He's got these people with these five special roles. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, to equip God's people to do the work of ministry, not to do ministry. We got this whole thing backwards. We're cheating the people and killing the pastors. What a stupid plan. We've got to turn that around where we look to pastors to equip people. So if a pastor is doing ministry, they should never do it alone because their main job is to train someone else while they're doing it to disciple someone else. I mean, come on. Isn't that what Jesus did? How did we get where we are? Anyway, number 10. The last one. In most renewal movements, people sing new songs that identify with the culture. Boy, I know you've got your favorite hymns. A lot of people do. Especially if you've been a Christian a long time. Well, guess what? They're not in the Bible. They're about the Bible, but they're not in the Bible. And the instruments you use are not sacred. The only thing is sacred is the message. So what you need to do is get into the culture, become indigenous to the culture you're trying to reach. You know the old joke, how many Christians does it take to change a light bulb? Who said anything about change? If you want renewal, God's telling you, we need to do some changing. I pray for you. Lord, I thank you for this time together. And I pray you will use this in a powerful way to upend the church with renewal and bring revival. And we will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Kent Hunter's Prescriptions from a Church Doctor, presented by Church Doctor Ministries. If you've liked this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to hear future episodes. 
Also, if you'd like to learn more about this topic, please check out Kent Hunter's new book, Who Broke My Church? Seven Proven Strategies for Renewal and Revival, in stores on September 12, 2017.